0: step into the world of advertising with FjorgeCast, predicting the most important trends in the advertising industry. Host Tim Barsness dishes on the latest developments within the advertising realm. Tune into the Cast to receive insider tips and advice from experts within the advertising industry. FjorgeCast is your first stop in hearing about the unique opportunities and challenges advertisers face today. Cranberry Radio is proud to present Cast with your host Tim Barsness,
1: thanks for joining us on Fjordcast. I'm Tim Barsness, founder of Web and Mobile Development Team Fjord, and today on our show we will be talking with Allie McGregor about her creative agency Raikira. Welcome to the show, Allie.
2: Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me.
1: So, Ally, can you tell us a little bit about Raikira?
2: Absolutely. We're basically a full service creative agency that I started a couple of years back, and uh, the kind of goal that we have as an agency is to blend all sorts of creative services in a way that helps integrate into our clients' uh, business operations. So we kind of look at ourselves as like an extension of their business rather than a sort of separate agency. And we kind of work on developing everything from public relations to social media, to marketing, to uh, events, anything that kind of helps our clients get the message out to the general public.
1: Got it. So why did you start that agency?
2: Uh, It's actually the most ridiculous random story because uh, I was uh, studying law in university. I had no intentions of going to this field whatsoever. Um, But a friend of mine had called me and said, I'm coming to London to do the World Music Awards, to produce the World Music Awards. And I need some help with sort of public relations. Kind of a young social person in the scene. Do you want to help out with it? And I thought, what the heck is public relations? I had no idea. So I said, no, it's okay. I'm going to stick to, you know, being my nerdy law student self. And he said, no, Ali, please be really good for you to come and help out and support me with this project I'm doing. And it's a really big award show. It's usually held in Monaco, but this year we're doing it in London. And um, I'd love to sort of get you to be involved in it. So I said, OK, fine, fine, whatever. So uh, I literally went home that night and Googled, what is PR? How do you do public relations? Because I had no idea. Um, and I ended up getting a small team of my friends together to help me sort of manage the PR work, which was sort of um, coordinating journalists and helping to ensure that celebrities were in the right place at the right time. At the end of the award show, which was like a big rush for me, because I, again, was 19 years old and had no idea what I was doing. Uh, one of his partners came to me and said, you guys were so great at doing PR for this show. Um, I'm actually helping to produce the Brit Awards in a few months. You guys should do PR for that, too. And I thought, sure. And he said, what's your company name? And I thought, uh, crap. So I went home that night and registered the company name. And that's sort of how we started off.
1: Nice. Got it. Mm-hmm. Kind of on the fly, if you will.
2: Yes, very much so.
1: Perfect. Um, so you mentioned that um, you shoot to be kind of an extension of, um, of a client's business rather than a vendor. Um, mm-hmm. What do you do to accomplish that?
2: So one of our really big goals is to become as sort of tightly integrated as possible with our clients, because I've sort of found that quite a lot of agencies are ha- having a bit of a separation between them and their clients. And so there's always sort of this very business-like or corporate-like separation between them and it kind of doesn't do the client enough justice to help them actually get their message across because you'll find the client sort of hiring one team to do their branding, someone else to do their social media, another team to do their public relations, And you often end up with quite disjointed messages across the board. So we kind of aim to sort of be all encompassing, kind of like an external in-house team. And so we kind of look at ourselves as being a part of their operations. And in that sense, we kind of get a lot more involved with their business in terms of helping it to grow, helping it to even consulting on sort of other areas they can do work in, um, being a lot more available than most agencies are. I know everyone kind of claims to be attached to their phone, but we very much so are, you know, like a nine to nine type office hours because we're always working with our clients any given hour. And um, the fact that we have two offices in different sort of time zones helps to really work internationally with clients as well. So there's never a time that we're not connected to our clients and their brands, and we're kind of always aware of what they're doing and what their demographic is like and how the demographic is changing. or kind of a bit more integrated than the average agency, I would say.
1: Sure. So um, you mentioned uh, external, in-house team, um, and kind of some tight integration. What is What does that tight integration look like practically? How does it compare to how other agencies engage?
2: Right. So I think oftentimes what we'll sort of see with our clients is that, Um, we get a lot more involved with their day-to-day operations. So a lot of our clients will come to us and sort of um, discuss that they have this goal of, let's say, you know, reaching X number of followers on social media or hitting certain internal targets. And rather than just them coming up and saying, okay, make us a PR campaign, we'll kind of go deeper and say, okay, what's your history of your business? What is your consumer like? What is your consumer looking like for the future? And kind of get more involved rather than just looking at it as a a project-based aspect. We kind of look at it a bit more of, developing their business itself using these creative tools. So um, we definitely are very much uh, fans of sort of regular communication with our clients all like on a regular basis, all the time, weekly calls, weekly emails. Um, we are also end up sort of becoming a bit more, of a consultant for our clients. So oftentimes they'll come to us with other ideas and sort of bounce off us um, because we kind of a bit, a bit more of a personalized team for them. So it's kind of um, a different sort of area in terms of looking at how we would typically work with an agency where you kind of have a, a separation of here's your brief and you go do it and come back to me. We're a bit more sort of integrated in the actual day-to-day operations of our clients. So it's a sort of nice different change for a lot of them.
1: Sure, so um, what, is it, what is it about Ally McGregor that, um, got her to kind of where she is today?
2: Well, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of it has been sort of being very open-minded because like I said, being a law student and all of a sudden falling into this, this sort of world and running with it and rather than going into law was kind of a, a complete change of what I expected to myself to be doing when I was younger. So I think just being very, very open to um, what the world has to to offer and put out in front of you has been a really great asset for me. And thankfully, I think I got that from my parents for sure. My mom was always very supportive of everything I did when I was younger, whether it was me wanting to uh, start doing Taekwondo at age seven, and she was like, you know, I don't think so, but she said, go for it. You know, if you want to do it, go for it. Or uh, anything I wanted to do as a kid, she kind of very supported me in a way that made me feel very able to do whatever I put my mind to. And so this agency was the the biggest challenge of my life. It's my only job in my entire life. Um, And it's been such a great sort of experience because I've always been open to what the role is to offer me. So I think it's been a pretty pretty solid asset.
1: Absolutely. Um, How has your background in law impacted your agency?
2: I think it's a really good um, sort of impact in the sense of being able to let me be very professional in a sense, because I think oftentimes... Um, the creative world is people sort of think of it as, you know, a bunch of kids running around and like, you know, beaten up sweatshirts and running shoes and just sort of doing things on the computer. But becoming coming from a law background kind of made me feel a bit more inclined to add a level of sort of professionalism to everything I do. And so even my emails and sort of the way I speak to clients at first, it's always very sort of uh, lawyer-esque. And I think even on a, on a more practical level, just being able to write my own contracts and, you know, um, even support our clients with sort of saying, you know, certain things might not have such a great legal ramification, it's just kind of a nice asset to have. And and I think, honestly, the re- most realistic way is that it's been a great sort of, um, almost like a, a way to cement my credibility to potential clients, because I think that being relatively young, they're kind of like, what does this girl know? When I say, oh, I'm a lawyer, they think, oh, wow, she must be very experienced. So it kind of gives it a level of credibility to myself and the agency.
1: Sure. Do you, do you think that, um, having a background in law or being a lawyer lends itself well to being an entrepreneur in general?
2: I definitely think so. I think you see this across the board of a lot of law professionals. Uh, there's a certain level of uh, understanding of just how the corporate world works. And I think that, that really helps just in a base sort of educational sense. And then I think the law kind of teaches you about being very disciplined and looking at facts and sort of making it um, a really solid assumption based on everything that you're experiencing. And so I think that definitely helps with being a business person where you kind of have to quickly look at a number of different ramifications and potential um, sort of outcomes and make a decision that's going to help impact your business one way or the other. So law definitely provides you with a really solid sort of understanding of that.
1: If you if you didn't have a law degree right now, would you um, go back and get one?
2: Um, no. I actually had no interest in being a lawyer whatsoever at the time. My mom was a lawyer, and that's kind of why I went into the field in the first place. But I was just sort of, um, I thought it was very interesting to sort of study on a very um, sort of cerebral level, but I definitely wasn't, at the time I was kind of lucky because I had no interest in really being a lawyer. So this opportunity coming into my lap was like the sort of sign from above that I'm meant to be doing this instead.
1: Got it. <laughs> so what's the coolest thing you've you've done in your career?
2: Um, gosh, there's so many things. I mean, I've been really, really lucky to have worked with some amazing brands, uh, the kind of brands that I looked up to when I was a kid. But I I think the biggest thing I've sort of done that made me the most excited was when, uh, we did our first sort of big fashion show for London fashion week. And I think that it was just so surreal because, um, you know, when I was younger, I was the typical sort of young teenage girl. I loved fashion magazines and watching fashion shows online and actually being there producing a show and, you know, making it from start to finish, whether it came to casting models that I'd seen in magazines and working with designers who I've like loved from afar, it kind of just made it all feel very like, wow, my actual life is, you know, so different from what I imagined I could be when I was a kid. And I think that it's kind of made me feel very uh, appreciative that I was able to sort of achieve something that I dreamed about doing when I was a kid or just thought I couldn't even accomplish when I was a kid. So, you know, actually working on a fashion show and, um, imagine what my younger self would think when she saw that. I think that was kind of a really neat moment for me.
1: Another cool thing that I think is often overlooked is you, you've also put yourself in a in a position where you can take advantage of things in the future that are kind of cool opportunities or, um, you know, unique to what makes you, you.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree. I think that it, the, the great thing in this sort of industry is that you're able to sort of create uh, a job that kind of suits you best. Or right? I mean, it, obviously there's lots of downsides and it's a lot of work and a lot of pressure, but you know, with this job, I'm able to sort of really achieve goals personally and professionally that kind of make me feel very fulfilled. So I'm, I'm extremely lucky in that sense for sure.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned you have, um, two offices. How did that come about?
2: Um, Well, I was actually born in London originally. I know my accent's like really, really faint, but um, I was from London originally and my family moved to Toronto when I was about 10 or 11. So I kind of had a background in both cities. And after studying law in London um and sort of starting the company there my mom was visiting uh once and said "Oh, i miss you so much my eldest child and my sweet sweet angel you know typical mother guilt uh why don't you kind of come to toronto and start an office here and i thought you know what i'll give it a shot and here we are a couple years later doing quite well so thanks mom (laughs) (laughs)
1: got it um so do you are you hopping back and forth between toronto and london then
2: all the time i'm literally like a professional jet lag queen like i can handle (laughs) it like nobody it's it's insane it's ridiculous but um but it's great because i don't like sleeping that much anyway so it's kind of very it works out in my favor
1: you got it sounds fun we need to take a break but when we come back uh we'll we'll get some more uh creative advice from creative agency owner Alan mcgregor
0: don't go away george cast with tim barsness we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
3: Cranberry Radio is your new destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Browse through our complete library of programs at cranberry.fm or on demand through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Google Play. Don't worry, you can still access all of our great webmasterradio.fm programs at cranberry.fm. Refresh your bookmarks today to cranberryradio at cranberry.fm.
0: Content for your ears. And everything in between. Cranberry.fm Tim Barsness is back with more advertising advice with George Cast. Only on Cranberry Radio.
1: Welcome back to Fjord's Cast. I'm your host, Tim Barsness. And we are here with Allie of creative agency Rakura. Allie, can you give our listeners a little information about how you guys do your work so effectively?
2: Absolutely. I think uh, one of the bigger challenges in the industry is that everything you do requires so much effort and a lot of sort of moving parts. So one of the things that we always look to kind of focus on is uh, breaking each individual task down into sort of smaller individual tasks and making them a bit more manageable for ourselves. So we're not sort of overwhelmed by all the work we have ahead of us. And instead, we're kind of just looking at um, doing things in sort of the smaller bite-sized pieces that will make up the bigger picture. So we actually developed our own internal um, sort of communication platform that allows us to uh, keep track of each, each client's tasks and sort of milestones. And again, it helps, it helps us keep very focused on making sure we're doing each individual step that's required to make the bigger picture happen. So I think the biggest thing that we sort of look at at our company is making sure that we're focusing on each individual step, sort of one foot in front of the other, and then we'll get there in the end.
1: Got it. Um, So that platform that um, that you guys have developed, how has that changed your business?
2: It's been phenomenal. And the best thing is seeing the sort of response from our clients because, uh, you know, it's one thing to have a million emails between you and sort of having to try and keep track of things, but this platform lets us have everything in one space. So we kind of, it keeps us also very accountable because everything we do is sort of transparent to our clients so they can log in and see, okay, Ali is working on these five tasks and they're due on this date. And, you know, it's a good way to keep us all sort of accountable to each other and to the client. And uh, it kind of just makes us, it, gets, it takes a lot of pressure off because now we know exactly what we're to work on and when things are due and there's no sort of overwhelming, impending feeling of doom that you get when you're sort of working on a million projects at the same time. So it's been a really great asset for us.
1: Did you have other systems you used before you developed this? Uh,
2: email. <laughs> that was basically our only other system beforehand.
1: Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- when talking about, you know, the the creative part of the work, um, how does like building a process around that work um, make the creative side of it feel? Um, has it impacted the creativity at all?
2: Um, I was actually worried about that in the early days because um, our creative team, especially in London, were very sort of um, the typical sort of creative team that you'd imagine when you think of an agency. So they're kind of very free-thinking and not really bound by the sort of corporate um, rules. But I think that what it's actually helped us do is almost increase the our, our productivity because we're able to sort of give ourselves a structure and let ourselves play within that structure. So if someone says, you know, we need to have some um, ad concept ideas by this date and here's the briefing and all the information is in one place, now you can go nuts. And it kind of gives you a sort of sense of um, freedom, but but grounded freedom. So you're not sort of um, giving yourself uh, any sort of constraints, but you're also letting yourself you know, work within the boundary that your client requires. So it's actually seen a bit of an increase for all of us because it lets us sort of be free to know that we can do what we do best and we're doing it in, in the time frame that works for our client, which is the most important thing for us. So it kind of works out.
1: You got it. Um, what are some common misconceptions about uh, work in your field?
2: Oh, uh, wow. There's so many of them. I think that uh, people oftentimes think that the creative industry is sort of full of um, you know, like sort of hippie types or people who just sort of like like to bum around and, you know, draw things on, doodle on their notebooks, whatnot. And I think that there's a lot of real professionalism in the industry that people don't really understand. Um, there's a lot of really hard work that goes into even things like designing a simple logo. There's a lot, a lot of research and thought processes and revisions. And um, I think that people sometimes look at this industry as one that they can sort of do themselves because it's such a um, you know, creativity is seen as not as much of a commodity as, let's say, having a, a law degree or an accounting degree. So people sort of think that, oh, I can I can do this. Myself. I can get my nephew to, you know, build the website for me, or I can sort of put together my own Facebook ad campaign. And they kind of realize afterwards that it actually requires a lot of skilled effort. And so I think there's a, a lack of understanding that people don't really see that this field is not just, you know, creativity in the sense of what, you know, what your kids do in school. It's, it's a lot more structured and a lot more thought that goes into it than you'd imagine. So um, we oftentimes have to sort of convince some clients to realize that there is a benefit to having professionals do this for you because this is really a professional skill.
1: Is it hard for you to um, show value to people who who think they can do it themselves?
2: Um, There definitely can sometimes be a bit of a, a, a barrier or a sort of mental block for some clients. And again, the good thing I think is that once you start doing work, they, that barrier disappears. But at first there's, there's a couple of clients we've had who have sort of been a bit skeptical about hiring a team to do what they thought that they can do themselves. Uh, but I think what happens is you just sort of look at the results they brought along for themselves and explain that there's a reason why these results aren't working or aren't working for, in their favor. And, um, and I think just showing your value uh, is the only way to really convince someone. Otherwise, because you know, there's so many businesses out there who still don't really embrace the idea of creative communications as a necessity for their business growth. So, um, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, right?
1: Absolutely. So you're 29 years old. Yep. You started your agency when you're 19. Mm-hmm. Um, can you take us through a 10-year roadmap of what it, what it looks like to build Rakira?
2: Um, it was definitely a very unconventional um, path because when I first started out, like I mentioned, I was in school still, and um, I had my little team of, of three friends I'd hired uh, to work on our first project. And we were sort of very, very young and uh, naive and didn't really know much about the industry at all. But what happened is we kind of, as I realized that this was a path I was interested in, in making into my actual career, we sort of created more structure. So I, I had a, we're working out of my office, which was a kitchen in my house in London, and um, that was our office for the first sort of two years. Uh, we sort of developed a more of a structure for ourselves and made ourselves, modeled ourselves more after a traditional agency. So we had, you know, individual teams and individual sort of uh, assignments for each person on our team. And um, after a couple of years, we sort of were picking up enough steam to have really solid clients and, and, you know, clients that actually paid us good money, which was very helpful. So we kind of moved into our, our proper office space. And uh, hired more people who were qualified and really just a solid team sort of began to form around that. Um, and then after a bit of time, when I realized sort of expansion was the next step for us, I came back to Toronto and I sort of did the same thing. I was rented a small office space and sort of took my time to find the right team that fit with our sort of ethos and and uh, what I wanted to build for the future. And um that's kind of how we ended up where we are now. So now we have two really robust offices, um, a fantastic, fantastic team of people who work with me, uh, who make my job as easy as it can be. And, um, and that's sort of how we've sort of uh, grown from my kitchen to, you know, international success.
1: Sure. When was the first time you hired someone who's older than you?
2: Um, My second hire in London, actually. So my, I had brought on a couple of friends me with the uh, world music awards, public relations. And we, we, were sort of They were sort of friends from school, so they weren 't really sort of anything anyone experienced or sort of um, well versed in the industry. but uh, my second hire uh, was a young man named Kyle, who's today still who was kind of like our little tech genius and um, he was again a friend of a friend. it was kind of very informal. But uh, I think our, our whole team, except for maybe a couple of our interns and um, one or two of our staff, are all pretty much older than me now. But again, it's, it's a nice thing, a nice sort of rapport we have. We kind of feel like a little family, and I'm like the mom of the family. So there's a lot of respect in that sense, which is lovely.
1: Nice. Love it. Um, how, how do you keep your staff motivated uh, with the the two different offices in two different countries, continents?
2: Um, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a challenge at times, because uh, especially now that the Toronto office is sort of thriving, it's been tough to sort of give enough attention to both offices. And I think that um, it's, we always joke about sort of Toronto kids being like the the stepkids of mine, where they sort of get all the attention and, and my older kids are left behind in London. But we kind of make sure that we're always sort of giving each other a lot of daily support. So we have daily um, staff phone calls with the London office. London and Toronto are very connected with each other. We do projects together as well, a lot of joint projects. And I think the main thing for for me as the sort of um, the agency head is to really ensure that I'm taking care of my team professionally and personally. So we have a lot of um, internal discussions about sort of our own personal goals and professional goals that we want to reach. And we sort of focus on how we can do that for each other. So... Um, you know, for example, in our London team, uh, we all—they also discuss about home ownership. They all want to be homeowners, and they don't want to sort of be the typical people in their mid-thirties who are still renting. And you know, we kind of have our own personal goals, I and mean, we say, okay, how can we achieve that through the company? So how can we sort of make sure that you're hitting enough targets to make your bonuses, so you can save money to make a down payment, and it kind of helps to sort of create a really solid rapport. And also, we're all sort of in, in this together. It's not just my company, it's all of their companies as well, because we have these goals that we're going to achieve together through the business. So, that's been a really great sort of um, way for us to stay motivated uh, across both continents.
1: Would you say that personal goals like that vary dramatically between the continents?
2: Uh, I think so, for sure. I mean, I think that um, in in London, the, there's a bit more emphasis on, I think, homeownership and sort of developing um, uh, a typical sort of adult life uh, whereas in Toronto, it's a bit more about sort of, I think, paying off sort of student debts or sort of more, more immediate goals rather than long term goals. I think that's just, just uh, down to the fact that um, England and Canada are very sort of different culturally in a sense. So there's a bit more emphasis on foundational aspects of your life in England versus Canada, where it's more about sort of quality of life. So, um, yeah, the goals do vary, but you know, they're all sort of achievable and they're all sort of um, noble goals.
1: You got it. Sounds challenging. You're up and running in London and Toronto. Uh, what's next for Ray Cura internationally?
2: That's another great question. We're kind of looking at expansion plans now. And um, if you ask a London team, they'll say we want to have Ray Cura Paris. If you ask the Toronto team, they say we want to have, have Ray Cura New York. So um, I think that uh, we're kind of looking at a couple different places that we might be interested in. You know, a lot of up and coming cities are great outp- outposts for creative agencies. So we're looking at even Brazil Uh, in places like Hong Kong even uh, in Nigeria Lagos is like a really burgeoning um, African port for sort of uh, helping to get a a, a foothold in the African market so we'll see I mean I think New York might be the most likely next step but kind of very open at this point
1: sounds like you've got lots of opportunities do them all (laughs) Um, we need to take a break but when we come back uh, we'll talk a little bit about Starbucks changes to the beer menu as well as a little bit on content marketing
0: don't go away George Cass with Tim Barsness will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Is your website hacked?
1: Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded.
3: Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's e-brands with a Z for
0: eBrands.
3: Do you have cold, hard cash burning a hole in your pocket? Let Cranberry Radio lighten your load. Just hand us that burdensome dinero and we'll get you set up with your very own radio show. We produce, edit, and amplify the show. All you have to do is show up. It's time for you to make an impact. We're glad to help. Just hand over the cash. Space is limited. So contact us now at sales at cranberry.fm.
0: A more refreshing kind of talk radio. Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. Tim Barsness is back with more advertising advice with George Cash. Only on Cranberry Radio.
1: Welcome back to Fjordcast. I'm your host Tim Barsness, and I'm here with Allie McGregor of Ray Um Our first story today is from Ad Age. Um, talks about Starbucks stopping serving beer and wine at its chains, and rather just reserving it for kind of their high end locations. Allie, have you ever been to a Starbucks that serves beer and wine?
2: I have actually, and must say, I, I did really enjoy it because I felt like it was a uh... A kind of natural progression for a chain like that. I mean, you know, the people who do love their coffees and their teas usually do have quite an affinity for their favorite sort of, you know, brew when it comes to beer or their favorite sort of region when it comes to wine. There's a good overlap of, of um, the sort of people who are aficionados in all of those sort of drinking worlds. So it kind of made sense. And it was, it, they did a really great job of the rollout when they first introduced it.
1: So why do you think they've gone away from that implementation?
2: You know, I think the interesting thing is that whenever a big company does something new, there's always a sort of um, a ton of, uh, obviously, attention is placed on it and sort of how well it's going to succeed. And I think one thing that Starbucks did is that they tried something and they did a good job of looking at what the data presented to them and sort of seeing how much sense it makes to continue it in the way it was going or adjust accordingly. And I think that that's a really important lesson for we can all take from that is that, you know, rolling out a new idea – Um, It's a new idea. It's simply an idea. No one knows how it's going to be received. And so when you do get some data back on that, the best thing you can do is kind of follow what the data says and either, you know, pair it back like Starbucks is doing where they're making it, I think, only for their more higher end chains will be doing this. I think it kind of makes a lot of sense for them. It's good for them to sort of see what worked and adjust accordingly and sort of course correct rather than just sort of sticking to their guns because they did it in such a wide range. regional sort of outreach. So I think it, it, it's it's a great challenge for them. I think it was an um, interesting opportunity. I think it's good that they're sort of focusing on the ones that make the most, the locations that make the most sense for their for their rollout.
1: That's a really good point, that larger companies are often held to a different standard as far as, you know, knowing ahead of time how their initiatives are going to end up. It, it seems a little unfair that if you're a little guy, you can test things without issue. But if you're, you know, if you're Starbucks, testing things, you know, is, is perceived as failure.
2: It's true, and to me, it seems so. It's bizarre that we have this kind of opinion because you know big companies are still trying as well. You know, companies are companies that they don't know any better just because they're bigger. And I think that oftentimes you'll see things like um, you know people sort of will criticize them a lot harsher. And I understand that big companies are are more vulnerable to harsher criticism, but at the same time, they are just trying new concepts. And there's nothing wrong with trying a concept and seeing if it works. And if it works out well, then sticking to it. And If it doesn't, then adjusting and changing accordingly. But Um, You know, I think that people just have a higher level of um, sort of scrutiny for these businesses. And I think the most important thing that businesses can do is make sure that they stick to their guns and say, we're going to adjust accordingly and not be embarrassed to say it didn't didn't work out the way we thought it would. But we're going to make sure it works out for the way that makes the most sense for our consumers down down the road. So, you know, kudos to Starbucks for making that adjustment themselves.
1: Absolutely. Our second story today calls for content marketers, specifically B2B content marketers, to stop targeting the C suite. Um, It says most content consumption and lead biting comes from mid level professionals rather than the C suite. Allie, with Ray Kira, you know, being a marketing company, would you say that this is an accurate observation?
2: I think it really varies depending on the industry and the sort of the type of business you're going after because I think for a lot of our Clients, especially initially in the early days, worked with quite a lot of startups. And, you know, so the whole people you're working with are the, I guess, the C-suite in a sense. Um, and I think oftentimes there are a lot of businesses who are, who have their top level management very, very involved in everything that they do. So they kind of would prefer to be involved rather than having passing it off to a mid-level exec. And there are some businesses that are so big where the C-suite are totally removed from what we're doing for them. So I think it really varies depending on the type of industry you're going after. And also each business has their own sort of uh, individual culture that, that sort of helps dictate how they work with vendors and partners. So it's kind of hard to give a generalization to say that you should never target a certain group of people because, you know, sometimes we've had clients that have reached out to their president and that's how we've gotten their business. Sometimes it's been that we've reached out to, you know, uh, an employee and that's how we get business from them. So it kind of varies depending on the company's culture as well. But I think that the best thing we can do as agencies and partners is to sort of look at the culture of that business itself. Is their C-suite team very involved in the sort of, public facing work that the company does and if so maybe they want to be involved in in the outreach and if not then maybe you kind of target someone else in the company so it's kind of hard to give a such a super generalization to all sort of businesses but i think it's good to sort of look at them on a case-by-case basis well
1: and that's a, a great piece of feedback ali um the one of the main points of the article is um that in a lot of companies you know Though a C-suite may, might make a final decision, they're often influenced by other people within the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to include them as part of the funnel um, can be, be very impactful.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think oftentimes also it kind of just helps them to know who they're going to be working with. Because obviously their decision is, is the one that matters. But seeing how the vendor that they're speaking with sort of operates. I mean, I don't think that we should pretend that people who are in C-suite management don't read these emails or don't get involved or, or don't at least keep an eye on what's going on um, with their their reports and how their people are sort of um, reacting to them. Because, you know, oftentimes we'll have meetings with uh, potential clients where the president finally comes in at the, at the end and they kind of re- reference things that you said beforehand and we thought they weren't paying attention, but they actually were. So, you know, we should give them a bit more credit. I mean, obviously they're obviously bombarded with emails and they're very busy, but they do definitely pay attention to what's going on underneath them. So, you know, it, again, it all really varies depending on the company for sure and how that's, their DNA operates.
1: Absolutely. And we're out of time. So that's it for today on FjordgeCast. You can find Allie McGregor on Instagram as at Allie McGregor. And Rekira on Twitter as at Rekira LDN. And at Rekira TO, obviously for London and Toronto. Um, And on Instagram is at Rekira. Thanks for being on the show today, Allie.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Tim. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. And thanks to everyone for joining us on FjordgeCast. You can download episodes of the program by going to cranberry.fm or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio.
0: The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited.